When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, who are you? I'm you. From the future. What do you want? I want to tell you about Dave. Dave has your future money. Spend it on whatever you need. With extra cash from Dave, you can get up to 500 bucks instantly with no interest and no credit check. Download the Dave app from the App Store right now. That's D-A-V-E. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking provided by Evolve. Member FDIC. Hello and welcome back into everyone's favorite worst nightmare, Everton. Uh, it, it is your kickabout, it is Derby Week, uh, but it is not Rob Vera, who, who can't be with us for one week only, I'm sure, but uh, capably stepping into his shoes is Adam Sutton. Uh, Adam, thanks very much for joining. Um, we, we will go into into games previous and future, uh, as much as we don't want to really look at either at the moment, but how do you see it at the moment? Are we, are we precariously hanging around the relegation zone, or are you with me on cloud nine? on the assumption that we are simply five points off six? Um, I, I'm definitely not with you on cloud nine, like i tell you that. Um, the, be- the best thing that happened to Everton all weekend, I'm telling you right now, mate, is Norwich drawing against Wolves and, and holding them to to our, our what will no doubt rightly be earned Europa Conference League place at the end of the season. Yeah, well, I think it's... <laughs> it's a real testament to the side that we're looking around at these these other teams such as Norwich <laughs> and hoping that the yeah hoping that they actually draw instead of lose and win because that's therefore keeping us in and around those positions so uh yeah more, more not looking towards what wolves are doing yeah <laughs> but it's good that wolves got a point against relegation um, <laughs> battling Norwich and Everton so it's um it's awful, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I do jest. It, it is absolutely disastrous at the moment. Um, it's. I, I feel like we're going to be one of those fan bases that says, "Well, you can't, you can't really take any notice of the league table until April." I think you, you can't really look at it until April. I think g- going back when we've had good starts, you, you probably say, "Well." 
God, it's it's the start of October now, uh, and we're fourth or fifth. You know, this this is something to to really dig our teeth into and to and to really get on board with. But I think the the most damning thing that I saw about Everton's recent form, obviously the the lack of wins is the evident one. But Alex Awobi winning Everton's goal of the month for November with with our solo strike at, at Molyneux in a in a, a fortunate two-one defeat of what could have been five-one, uh, is that is that the antithesis of what Everton mean at the moment? With with possibly one of the worst ever midfielders, as some as some are calling him, to to score the only goal for the club in the month and and hence win the goal of the month award. That is that is truly depressing, that isn't it? <laughs> that that really is awful. It's like. I can't even explain an analogy that relates to that in any way, apart from like turning up to the sack race and no one else has turned up and you just literally crawl, fall and hop to some form of medal or accolade, which Alex Awobi. But the thing is, he won't win the goal of the month, will he? Because hopefully one of the under 23s or the ladies team has scored the decent goal. So he doesn't actually, because I know for a fact that he would somehow get a little bit of a kick out of that because he, he, his standards of that low, um, something he probably, don't know, hang up on his trophy cabinet, you could say, or yeah, in his games room at home, which is just truly, truly, truly embarrassing, isn't it? Let's be honest. You just know if, if that goes to some form of like website online vote and, and there's, there's a penalty from the under nines game at the start of November. All of the foaming dars will be will be voting for that kid's goal because it's just anything to take away from a player who who has has rightly attracted criticism this year. But yeah, it's um it's a reflection of some some pretty sorry times for Everton at the moment. But before we get on to how your weekend ended, Adam, and I think that was that was probably on par with the rest of us. Um, you obviously went down to, to London this weekend and, and, and took in the sights of West London on, on the Sunday, but I assume the rest of the weekend was a, a lot more pleasing than, than the Sunday at the game. It was, you know, it was, um, I'd had it planned anyway, and then for some reason, being the absolute weirdos that we are, um, <laughs> I asked if, if you could try and sort me a ticket for the Brentford game, full, fully well knowing that this would be just a terrible end to a wonderful weekend. But no one likes to enjoy everything. So I just thought... <laughs> so I went down Friday night with Bird and, and then Saturday went for a little shop and, and went met one of my mates who's also an Evertonian but was the clever one who just sat on his couch all Sunday frivolously yeah. hung over. Um, we were out in London till about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning on Saturday night, uh, which wasn't good for my head or wallet. Um so when when Sunday came around, it was it was almost nice to have a plastic cup pint stood yeah. downstairs waiting for the game to kick off. And uh, as we went up to our seats, it was my girlfriend's first Everton away game. Um, she won't be returning. <laughs> we, we went up to our seats, and the sun was was blazing on us. And for a split second, I thought I might get a result here. Um, and after about what twenty two minutes, the sun went away. And so did Everton's hope of any form of result. So, yeah. as you say, it was a, a very good weekend, which was truly Everton by the end of it. But thankfully, uh, I went after the game back round to Houston and sunk about five pints and all was forgotten. Houston tap is is a bit of a rite of passage, I think, on the way back up, isn't it? Yeah. 
you know what? It, it usually is, but there's one round the corner. I think it's called the Crown and Anchor. Okay. And boss little boozer, and it's a little bit out of the way, and you kind of don't get the absolutely bladdered about to get on the train or just got off the train. Um, yes. And we had a bit of food and a couple of pints, and there was no tellies in there as well, just escaped any form of other sport. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was decent. Um, I like London for a couple of days. I don't think I could spend any longer there, to be fair. Well, you, you've just taken the words out of my mouth because I think other than, you know, the, the boozers around Euston, which which do seem, as I say, a bit of a rite of passage before before getting back on the train and, and heading back up north, I think most of us, certainly mates that I've spoken to and you've kind of hinted towards this, you probably spend between London and Watford talking amongst yourselves about how you couldn't live in London. Um, and I think that that's... It, it takes a certain type of person to be able to handle just that level of intensity all the time, doesn't it? I mean, Adam, we're Evertonian, so intensity is not something that we are we are used to in the slightest. But I think that there is that kind of big shoulder drop inside that you do on the on the Avanti train back up, isn't it? Where you just think that that's that's nice and it, it's great to dip into. And and as you say, there's there's so much to do in terms of maybe not watching Everton, but places to eat and places to drink and, and an untold number of sights to see. But I think we, we all kind of, not necessarily pinning, pinning all Northerners in the same bracket of being kind of home birds and, and not wanting to live in the scary big city. But there, there is something about London, isn't there, where you think, well, I, I feel like my brain would explode if I did more than a few days there. Yeah, I know a lot. Of, I've got a few mates who live down there now i've had a few mates who have lived there and come back and there's certain things about the place that like i and maybe it's because we're from you know little villages outside of a city or we go to a, a city in, in very fleetingly weekends or a couple of days but for one you can't breathe down there in terms of the, the air is just shite <laughs> two nobody smiles or says hello or even acknowledges that you're there the amount of times i've like walked like through London this weekend and someone has basically just not realised that other humans exist and like I'm pretty sure my bird got shoulder barged about 20 times and I'm turning around thinking like but then <laughs> at the same time it, 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 it's not their fault they just don't know that you exist and people seem to look past you people seem to look through you and and I don't know maybe that's me wanting too much from people who might just not be bothered about engaging in conversation but there's something about Liverpool, I think Manchester similar, and obviously yeah. definitely little towns and villages in the surrounding areas. People just say hello and smile at you, and and it just makes you feel a little bit more, you know, welcome and at ease. And and obviously, on from that, I think London almost has me on edge at, at the best of times, really, as if something could happen at any time, and I'm in no control whatsoever and no idea where I actually am. But yeah. then you you go to these, you know, bars, restaurants, pubs. And it is, it's boss, the atmosphere is good. And, and I think once people have probably settled down after the 485 hours a week of work, um, <laughs> they, they can start to enjoy themselves. So, yeah, there and back in a couple of days will do me. And I'm, I'm not in any rush to return, especially to a football stadium. It's not that, you know, on, on the show last week, we were talking about pretty much the exact opposite of what you've just described experiencing in London, because uh, me and Matt and, and Nick Preble went up to the Lake District for, for a couple of nights. Um, and one of the things that we all collectively said during that two nights, three days that we were up there was it was it was almost uncomfortably pleasant how how forthcoming and how welcoming people were. You know, 
you know what kind of the the general walking or hiking scene I imagine is like I mean I'm not going to call myself a hiker because I walked two days out of 33 years but everyone is so familiar with each other and so pleasant and I think what you what you've just described there is is obviously the exact opposite and it's it's probably why I think if I was to ever move away from from the local area or the Wirral or wherever that may be if it wasn't to somewhere incredibly hot I think it would have to be somewhere rural just somewhere that you could you, you're able to switch off on your own when you do want to but when you see people they, they at least acknowledge that you have a, a pulse uh, and I think that that is obviously something you mentioned about I don't know do Londoners feel like that or, or do we just feel like that upon visiting London I mean talking about people who don't recognize anyone else around them you know every Everton player could be could, could have that pointed at them after Sunday's game but I think the um, the definition of insanity, something that you alluded to, would go into the game at the back end of, of a nice weekend. Was Les Roberts texting me on Monday morning, um, saying, "If you hear about any Chelsea tickets, mate, let me know." Um, and do you know what? We we hear so many of those stories in in recent weeks, don't we? About that kind of insatiable grip that Everton have on not only your weekend but your life. I mean, I I. I feel like now I'm able at the back end of a weekend and maybe it's just because of the nature of work and that it doesn't really allow you to, to think about it, but I'm able to come in and switch off and pretend that Everton was really a thing. I don't really work with a lot of people who like football, which is something that I would very much advocate for anyone choosing their career path at the moment. But I think for, for so many blues, it's so hard to shake, isn't it? And you know, games are coming thick and fast at this time of year. Obviously, the the one that's on the horizon as we record now is is one that, depending on the form, you, you kind of look forward to or absolutely despise. And I think it's very much, very much the latter for for most of us. With with a home game against a pretty indestructible Liverpool team coming up. But in terms of derby memories, Adam, I mean, we at our age we haven't got a great deal to look back at positively. You know odd games but generally speaking we've we've kind of lived in the shadow of a better football team in this city let's be honest but in terms of your best and worst derby memories what are you uh what are you thinking of when, what comes to mind i'm thinking of worst obviously um yeah, to yeah. begin with but i, I will start with best because i think you know elaborating on your point mo's almost is that the thing that keeps us going is a, a couple of reasons possibly is that we we just love we love whatever is happening, whatever it, whatever it's good or bad. We just love it. We are like wallowing in our own shite, and it's <laughs> it's in the hope of will something happen? Can something happen? And therefore, I can't take a chance on not being there in case it does. And the flip side of that is, if it's going absolutely terribly, at least I'm there to somehow feel important enough <laughs> to try and make an impact on this these players' emotions and feelings. But in terms of memories, the one that, that sticks out for me is um, the Jagielka Anfield one, which is so horrible to say because we drew away Anfield and that's one of my favourite Derby memories. I've been yeah. to games that we've won, but I, I spent 90, well, 89 minutes, 90 minutes looking for my mate who I was meant to go with. And he had a broken arm at the time and I couldn't find him for the whole game. Went downstairs at half time, couldn't find him. You can't miss him because he had a huge cast on. And obviously, a couple of minutes to go, I said, oh, I'm getting off here. And he just stood at the bottom of the stairs. I was like, do you want to go? And as soon as that came out of my mouth, he looked up and went, lad, Hibbert's hit it. <laughs> you know, 
Tony Ibbett wasn't even on the pitch. Tony Ibbett didn't hit it. Phil Jagielka hit it. And for a split second, imagine how good that feeling was. Imagine how good the feeling was thinking it was Tony Hibbert that had hit that <laughs> shot. Um, but obviously, absolute pandemonium. and yeah. It's an unbelievable feeling. Late Scoring late in, in any capacity, obviously, to try to get a result, whether it's drawing or winning. It is, yeah. There's not many feelings that come close. Another positive derby experience is... There's a few. The Gosling one is obviously amazing. I think, for me... The Cahill and Arteta one just two nil, yeah, is, is very good. But it's 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 Andy Johnson, isn't it? The three nil. It's absolutely cracking the flags. Nobody has anything on but shorts and a t-shirt, <laughs> and somehow Everton just turn up, and we never just turn up. And I think it, it feels I don't know how many years ago. It's got to be over ten years ago now, surely. Is that is the is the Cahill Arteta game? Is that still the last home win? Yes. I think it is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so the Johnson one has to be what? 12, 13 years ago now, maybe? I think that was 1970. <laughs> it wasn't Andy Johnson. It was like some <laughs> random Johnson who was like played four games in the 60s or whatever. Um, but yeah, in terms of positive experiences, as we've just alluded to, they are few and far between. In terms of negative ones, there's been so many. There's two I'll name because we could bore ourselves and hate ourselves and people are thinking, why am I listening to this? Uh, the Mane one off the post is is, is, is is my lowest point. Oh, really? Yeah. Time moves so slowly when that ball's coming back off the post and yeah. not a single Everton player is ever going to react to it. Uh, they throw a flare on the pitch as well, Liverpool, and I look over and for the first time in my life I thought, looks good in there, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to be in there a little bit. And the other one is... Uh, is, is Martinez's final, I think, I don't know if it's last game or 4 0, 5 0. Dunez Mori gets sent off. God, I, I've, never, I've never screamed at an Everton game. I've never like screeched at an Everton game. And I was screaming at that man that day to, to get out of the club. Like, and I think I was halfway across Stanley Park and 3, 4, and 5 went in. So oh, God. I... that's why it's probably pipped by the Manny one because the Manny one, I saw the, the final parts of this utter dross and with the other Anfield uh, experience it was, I was at least I was halfway home when it really got bad so God I'm, I've managed to avoid most of Everton's good moments at Anfield in recent times but I went to one of those games that you've just mentioned um, do, do you know the other one it certainly wasn't one I was thinking of that Mane one but I, as soon as you said when, when time seemed to slow down the storage header in the three oh, yeah. up we both sit at the park end, so we, yeah. we we definitely feel all of this more than most. Uh, but that that was one, wasn't it? And do you know what the most disappointing thing about that goal was? Is that at about 85 minutes with Everton winning 3-2, I reckon about 75% of that ground would have taken a draw. Because you just knew, you just knew what was going to yeah. happen. As soon yeah. as Liverpool got a free kick on that, on that right-hand touchline, you just knew what was happening, didn't you? I'll tell you, the, the the worst part of that was as soon as the header goes in, I sit like on the stairs. So like my right leg is, is on the stairs coming down. Yeah. Um, so like I, I, at any time I want to, I can just get off. Um, <laughs> and as that header went in, I stood up and there's like the fire exit signs that are like just as you come up on the left-hand side. There's a lad who sits in front of me. Uh, and he's, I sit, obviously he's been there for years and he's a good lad and he sits there with his dad and his brother. He, he kicks that sign a lot 
<laughs> I've I've never kicked that sign. I kicked that sign once and it just shattered everywhere. And then it, I was honestly like I've got a decent left foot, but I didn't know it was that good. And I've just like I must have just obviously I've volleyed it so hard, and uh, the steward's gone absolutely ballistic. And we get a, my dad got a letter through a couple of weeks later. It was like a three grand fine for for basically oh, like right. criminal damage. Yeah, yeah. Um, somehow, my dad, being the busy that he is, claimed that I was pushed into it and we got away with it. <laughs> so in hindsight, it wasn't too bad. But I, I always say to him, he always kicks it, and I go, "You honestly, you'll never break that sign." I've had one go, and I did it, and it was when oh. Daniel Sturridge equalised in whatever minute against us. The the, the famed thunderbolt right foot of Adam Sutton. <laughs> definitely the left. Definitely the left. The right wouldn't have. The right wouldn't have broken it. It's just to stand on that. Oh God, I, I love the idea of when we go to Bramley Moor, they don't have designated hospitality areas. It's just it's seen as a right, of, uh, it's seen as a privilege if you sit in the aisle so that you can get off as quick as possible and yeah. the seats attract a premium. I just think that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, booze specs where you can just shoot straight back into town and just avoid the final whistle. Oh god, the, the amount of times a ball must have been kicked on its way to the net, and you're already halfway down a flight of stairs, knowing exactly what happens. Yeah, the 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 the, the Emmanuel Dennis is it the fifth one for oh, Watford yeah, the yeah. other day. Yeah. I'm not messing with. I was absolutely <laughs> pissing myself. I was laughing my head. I was walking down the stairs, and for some reason, I just started laughing my head off. Oh, and I just I didn't I, I didn't like rush off. I was just walking down the stairs, and I just I just started laughing, and I thought. I've, I've, they've broken me. They have broken me. <laughs> I can't be upset. It was it was hilarious. That, and that that's the that's the dangerous stage that I think we we've spoken about recently, isn't it? And just just knowing that you are a pillar of hilarity in the league as opposed to an actual contender. But I mean, the, the other ones that I'll I'll very quickly go over. Are, I mean, negatives, as you say, you know, take your pick. Um, Seeing, I actually sat in the main stand at Anfield when Nick Barnby scored the dive nether against us. Um, I think we brought on Eden Tal to try and try and stem the flow of Liverpool attacks that day. Um, Gary McAllister, not not even not, not even going to really expand on that one. Um, you you've detailed where your seat is in the park end, mate. Well, mine is directly behind that shot. Yeah, um, just just watching Paul Gerrard get teased more and more to his left-hand side before that free kick was taken was it was painful um, and we, we've seen that actually in recent years as well with Tim Howard and, and Luis Suarez's free kick where yep. I think everyone who sits directly behind either goal knew exactly what type of goal they were about to watch um, and, and fair play to Suarez for executing it. Um, positives I'm going to go back to one of the other games that you mentioned. So the Jagielka one, but me and Matt were at that one as well. Um, do you know what my, my standout moment of that Jagielka game was? But when was that goal scored? Sort of early 80s, mid 80s, it must have been in terms of minutes. Um, so there was only about five or six minutes left. Yeah. And on about 89, Everton won a free kick just outside. The oh, I remember. Was it Gareth Barry? So it, oh got, my it gets God. played in low, and Gareth Barry did a bit of a kind of Cruyff flick, didn't like he? A flicker. Oh my God! I oh, that that was totally forgotten about, you know. And I've ju- you've just jogged my memory there. There's no way we could have justifyingly carried on with this football club no. if gone in because no. bury that, me now. That would have been 
<laughs> but no, you, you, I, I know that the Jagielka one has with it the the kind of the aura of, you know, you won one one, and do you yeah. know what? In in terms of everything that's happened towards at Anfield in recent years, we'll, we'll take it every day. <laughs> yeah. um, my, my earliest derby memory is asking me dad who was that who scored. Uh, when when Andre Kincelskis headed in in '96, I want to say, um, I feel like that was his. If it wasn't his first game, it was just def- it was definitely his first goal for Everton. Um, and ju- just just at that point, as a what eight year old child thinking this football team might actually be relevant in my life going forward, that that was that was something that. I've never experienced before or since. Um, the the one that the one that always stands out for me at Anfield is. I think we were getting beat 1-0 at half-time and Distan scored a header. Oh, pretty, wow, yeah. Pretty quickly after after half-time, didn't he? And then within a few minutes, um, Leon Osman goes on a bit of a dribbled run, falls to Jermaine Beckford and to the shock of only 3,000 Everton fans, he buries it in the corner. Yeah. Uh, so, in, in, obviously, anyone who's ever been to an Everton game at Anfield and managed to see us score there, um, first of all, that that bottle that because it's everything yeah. than rocking or shit but you, you'll know what it's like when we score a goal it isn't a kind of Matthew Pennington consolation because it is pandemonium of of previously unseen levels but when when that Beckford goal goes in obviously me and Matt are, are basically fighting with each other at this point scrambling over numerous rows and seats but I kind of put me put me foot on the seat in front but not not on the bit that you sit on on the back so if, if you've ever kind of like put any form of weight on them in a, in a yeah. celebration, you know that they are the most, that they're, they're more indestructible than that sign that you're in front of at the park end that because you could do anything to the back of one of those seats and it will, it will not give. Yeah. Yeah. Mine did. Um, so that the whole seat went, um, I'm on the floor, Matt's picking me up and I kind of clamber back to my feet with this, half broken red seat next to me and at this point the fellow in front of me celebrated the shit out of it as well so it's it's fully snapped off (laughs) i'm just sitting with this red seat on me knee at final whistle obviously absolutely not at the final whistle sorry after after the goal because obviously we we managed to go full everton and draw that game but yeah having this seat at full time i'm like well do i do i go and report this and, and take the three grand Sutton fine or do I just kind of take this because there's absolutely nothing they can do with it now and it's, it's a bit of a, a bit of a memento of the day yeah yeah so after about a, th- a third of a second thinking about what to do this this seat goes under my coat and, and straight out the ground with me uh, <laughs> <laughs> this this was at a time where through through his work my dad uh, had a couple of connections at the club so I gave him this seat and said, "Try and get Sylvan Distan to sign this for us because it was it was in the it was in the aftermath of his goal that, that this happened." Oh my god! Still to this day at home, mate, I've got the, the red seat with all the best Sylvan Distan. Oh my god, that is amazing! The ticket stub stuck to it, and do you know what? It, it saddens me that at some point in my life I will show that to one of my children and say. That this is what Everton happiness got to. This <laughs> yeah, is all yeah. ever was. Yeah, there was minor vandalism after a goal in a two-all draw. <laughs> yeah, but Dad, you never won. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. We didn't need to win. It was yeah. about that moment that the seat snapped. Another one, though, is I've just thought of actually. Yeah. Um, was in. I think it was in the cup, and 
Arteta, we get a we get a free kick last couple of minutes, and Arteta like whips one front post. Yeah, Kale, yeah. he was just he was on some vein of form against yeah. them especially, mm. and he, he was just having a laugh with anyone that they'd play centre half, and I'm sure he like jumps in between like Kiriakos and Skirtle. That's how far they've come, um, and just like. Yeah. almost stoops and flicks it on. And I remember a steward running in front of the corner flag so he wasn't allowed to punch it. Um, oh, and so like, it was it was one of those where like the, the sound of the net just rang in my ears for so long where obviously the carabiners or whatever it is just flick up as the ball yeah. hits the net. And it's just like a split second of, oh my God, and it just goes off. And, and they are, as you say, the moments that you don't even win the game. And, and it sounds stupid and, and we joke about, oh, but we didn't win. Or Those moments are what yeah. keep us totally insane and keep us coming oh. back because yeah, it, yeah. just that tiny little bit of hope that something can happen, I can't walk away from. I can't. That, that, that's the reason Les texted me on Monday. That's the reason yeah. you went to Brentford on Sunday. And unfortunately, we have been reduced to, to moments, haven't we? Yeah. We, yeah. We've spoken so much about this team and how it purely exists in moments. And it, it's, it's been like that for seasons now. But yeah, I mean, credit massively. To, and we'll go, we'll go on to talk about the fans on, on Sunday because I think, you know, it, it was it was obviously a different feel to, to how most of us would, would ever want the end of a, a game to feel like. But before we get there, we might as well talk about the, the kicking of the football, um, which, I mean... Primarily started with the kicking of Brentford players' faces. Um, that that was a. I, I, I've enjoyed this week seeing occasional fans try and defend that as not a penalty. I mean, nearly, nearly taking the fella's head off was. It was a summary of the disorganisation and the the kind of impulsiveness that existed within Everton's whole setup. But it started quite promisingly, mate. You've mentioned that the the, the sun was on your skin and you were feeling good about the game and. And that must have been echoed by Everton's team news initially because seeing people like Damari Gray back on the bench, um, more importantly, someone like Abdoulaye Decore back in the middle of the park. Was there, I mean, it's easy to say this looking back now, but was there at the time a feeling of, are we rushing these guys back too soon? Or was it was it just sheer relief that there was an actual competent footballer on the pitch? In terms of rushing them back, I think he probably didn't. I think he rushed Damari Gray back, but he thought, I can't actually go that far to play him. Yeah. Whereas with Decore, Benitez alluded to the fact that it was a broken bone instead of maybe a muscle. And therefore, bringing him back was kind of, if it's healed, strap it up and go. Yeah, yeah. And therefore, if anyone can, can do that, it's Abdullah Decore in terms of just. Yeah, driving forward and getting on with it. And I think after a couple of minutes, you probably just totally forget it's even happened. So yeah. we, we needed him more than anything. So we had to, if it was rushed, just take the hit, really. The worrying thing is is tomorrow or the derby now. So it's, um, it, uh, as you say, it was it was positive. I was sat on the, the tube, come over ground, whatever it is, in between Victoria and Gunnersbury, I think it is. Um, when the team news came through and I said to Hubert, I said, we'll win today, you know, if he comes back. Um, <laughs> and then I sat there for a second and went like, yeah, why do you always, why do you always say stuff like that? Um, what, what has, what has happened to you? Um, which of course is, is this little thing called hope that we all, all yeah. rely on. Um, and then walking up to the ground, 
having a couple of bevies beforehand and then yeah there's a lovely little boss little stadium and it's their fans are like probably the perfect just get a result fans because they're not nasty they're not loud they don't get on the players backs it's it's almost like you come here and if you create an atmosphere or you're rubbish we'll just match it but they they were awful awful first 15 20 minutes at at least Mm -hmm. and we didn't we didn't want them to to go up a gear it was almost in fear of we don't want a game here so let's just both be crap and then the crapper will just do something stupid, and, and obviously that was Everton. And yeah. so, you know, that was yeah. that was one of the most disappointing things for me is that even on probably about what well, when did Damari Gray come on sixty five? I know anything beyond that, and you you you're just hoping to get a point and get out of there. But even around about the hour mark, Brentford were were that bad that you thought, I'm not sure I'd be happy with a point here. You know, yeah. If Everton nick a goal and they bring Gray on and we're obviously pushing for for a win, which seems a million miles off now, but that was that was as bad as most of us can remember Everton being. And we were afforded time on the ball. We were afforded possession in the opposition's half. It, it was almost as though they were daring us to score, but we just couldn't we just couldn't quite get there. And I think the the thing that really really disappointed me from a from a technical point of view is just the lack of conviction that our players have on the ball and I think the one area that's been kind of pinpointing in this and I don't know if it's fair or unfair to be honest but I think our wide men have taken a little bit of slack over the weekend um Anthony Gordon's taken a bit of slack uh, and it's been it's been the bone of contention online I've, I've been reading you know he already strikes you as one of those players that will polarize fan bases um it, it comes with the territory of being a local lad but I think Andros Townsend could be could be thrown in there with a lot of the the more negative elements of his game on Sunday, but it, it's very hard when I'm, I'm not I'm not necessarily going to say that Solomon Rondon is the creator of all of Everton's problems, but when you have got someone who's limited in that position, it, it does totally nullify all of your attack as opposed to just him, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, there's a couple of things, and I I totally agree with with all you say it. There's a couple of other reasons that, uh, a couple of other factors that that really just constitute to. And I thought Andy Gordon was poor, especially last 20 minutes. I thought he was he was good, and he was he was trying, and he, he wants to do things. And it, it, God bless him, almost because you've yeah, got yeah. a French international there at left back who just gave him the ball every single time. And it wasn't a, I'll give you it and go, or it wasn't, I'll get to the byline, I'll take a couple with me, give you a chance to have a little bit of time and put a yeah. ball in. And then you've got, in the middle, when Anthony Gordon does get his head up, or when another, I don't know, of the lads putting the ball into the box, get the head up. How easy is it for, for two big centre-halves to just go and rough up your centre-forward? And it, it's almost like he doesn't know how to play football. Never mind, he doesn't have a footballing brain. In Alex Awobi, and it's just like, and, and I hate, I hate being like the, the, like jumping on a player's back, and, and yeah. I, I, it's almost cringy for me to like call someone out who's just like a, you know, twenty-four, twenty-five-year-old lad who is just playing footy and obviously isn't trying to be bad. Yes, but yeah. it's it's got to the point now where like it, it's it's just it's strange to see how awful he can, how, how awful he is in terms of just like now in terms of just. I'll drag you so at least I'm creating something 
for the big lad who's not scored since he's been here and is getting fans all over him and the manager's persisting with him. I'll just drag someone away from you so you might get a yard. I'll go and you know create a, a run that breaks the lines that gives you a little bit of time on the ball. People saying, oh, Rondon was better. Rondon was better. It needed to be better. But Christ, he doesn't get any, any help at all mm-hmm. from the lad who's meant to be playing in the number 10. And the, the likes of Luca Dean, and I don't want to go into to Seamus Coleman, but he, he's definitely in the same bracket. Seamus Coleman, for me, deserves his criticism and, and, and rightfully was getting it. And he was getting dog's abuse on Sunday, by the way. Dog's mm-hmm. abuse. I, I feel sorry for the man now because he can't refuse to play. If, if he's if he's put into the side, he hasn't been at the, the top of his game since he broke his leg, really. And we're crying out to just give him a rest. And, yeah. and he's he's just not getting either of those. He's not getting any form of just a just a chance to go right. Let me play a couple of games a month, or let me come in for this, or let me come on at this stage. And it, it, it's it's sad to see because. He's had a fantastic career at Everton, an unbelievable career, possibly one of the best value for money signings mm-hmm. the club's ever made. And it, and the end of his career is going to be the the, the part of it that's remembered. And it's, it's sad to say, actually. And I'm turning around and looking at Evertonians who rightfully are, are angry and they've got some, obviously, way of finding there's a, you know, a scapegoat or someone is there to be to be screamed at or to be moaned at. And, and Seamus Coleman was, especially first half, when he's right under us almost. Yeah, yeah. And he's he's not got the ability to bomb on past the lad who comes over to him. He's not got the ability to to give it to Townsend and then bomb on past him and create a little bit of space for Townsend to come inside. And and it's, it's in a way, the blame is on Seamus Coleman. But for me, Luca Dean, and we, me and Matt spoke about this a couple of, maybe last week. And I said, whether it's tactics, whether it's Benitez, whether it's, a drop in form, whether he hasn't had a run of just 100% fitness in, in a long while, Luca Dean, but I, I felt that he just didn't take any responsibility with Anthony Gordon on the weekend. He didn't say to he didn't say to him, Ego, I'll, I'll put a ball in, or he didn't say to him, go on, if you get it, I'll, I'll push on and try and take a ladder away, so you, at least you've got a bit of space. And all Andy Gordon was doing was looking up, no option to his left. The defender, if you're off, you know, clever, you'll think he's going inside on his right, and he's going to try and get a shot away or get a cross away. And, and by the last you know, 15, 20 minutes, he was even trying to do that and, and he was getting nowhere near the box. He was just getting crowded out. He was getting pushed off the ball because for me, he was off poor, but also he's got a lad there who's played at the, the pinnacle of the game for a decade now. He, he just, it was a shit house basically. I think he was a shit house on the weekend. He's scared to put a bad ball in. He's scared to try and beat a man. He's scared to do something. Because it's got to the point now that whatever tactics we're deploying and whatever way we're looking to play, it's, it's nullifying him. And when he does get into those positions, his quality is awful. And, mm. and, he's, and he's basically just shying away from any responsibility with that. Yeah, I think they mentioned on, on the commentary at the weekend, mate, that he, he's still waiting for a, his first assist this season, which statistically reviewing him over the last few seasons, that's it's totally unheard of for him, isn't yeah. it? We, we, but, we... But... We've championed him, haven't we? In the in the kind of the, the late the Leighton Baines role of being our yeah. secret potent attacker from from left back, and I think it, it it's it's probably people have had hesitations about him for the last twelve months. I would say, and I, I, do you know what? None of us are sitting here and saying that he is not he he's the the least technically gifted player at the football club because clearly he can he can do an incredible job when he's on song, but. 
I think it, it's disappointing, isn't it, when you see a, a culture professional, not necessarily. Well, do you know what it is? It, it's shifting responsibility. It, it's almost it and blame onto, onto whoever is ahead of him. I, I don't want the problem, so I'm not even going to yeah, get involved. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and as you say, with with Anthony Gordon, my I'll, I'll be honest, instinctively watching that game at the weekend, I was texting Matt saying, I'm not sure he's up to it, this lad, because, you know, all of the things that we all saw on the eye, uh, as you mentioned, kind of aimlessly skipping inside, um, not not having conviction on the ball. That's something that I mentioned earlier on, and I'd very much point at him. He, he looks, he looks like there's no real end to his to his game. There's no real plan about what his effective role in the team necessarily is. And the more I've managed to to kind of sit back on it, I, I'm not excusing his performance because I thought he was as poor as anyone at the weekend, honestly. Um, but it, it's very, very difficult to assess a player coming into this side for so many reasons at the moment. Uh, poor form, um, a, a fullback like Luca Dean behind him, and, and you know the, the the faults that he has in his game at the moment, and quite glaringly the quality of player that is around him at the moment. You, you mentioned, you know the typical Anthony Gordon move from Sunday was to skip inside their right back, who was very much happy for that to happen. Not necessarily have someone like Luca Dean on the overlap. And Anthony Gordon lifts his head up and he sees Alex Awobi as the short ball inside, or he's putting an aimless cross into Solomon Rondon, who's got two or three defenders on him. And you're never going to get any form of valuable output from him, are you? And I found myself wanting him to to possibly be a little bit braver, possibly take the take the full back on the outside. But every time he did get to a moment of of potential, I didn't know whether I was I was disappointed in him in in not giving us something more, or if I was just disappointed in everything else and and Everton not being able to create the environment that this player clearly needs to grow. And you know what? I could substitute Anthony Gordon's name with any player under 21 who's come through at this football club in the last 20 years, bar Wayne yeah. Rooney, who was clearly capable of creating something out of nothing. Uh, and, and it ultimately led to him going elsewhere to to fulfil a, a much grander career. And that is potentially where, where you get people like Ross Barkley and, and potentially even Anthony Gordon down the line of saying, this football club cannot provide for me what I need to, to go and, and make my own personal career. And, and you know what? Time will tell whether a he is good enough on a personal level, but b whether Everton can Everton can be brave enough to find that out. If it, if it always feels as though when players come through at this club, you'll only really know whether they are a success or not when they actually go and join a fully functioning football club. Yeah, where where someone like Ross Barkley goes to Chelsea and it doesn't work, and he goes to Aston Villa and it doesn't quite work. And I feel like now we can probably look at him. And I say this on on the cusp of him kind of slowly coming back into the Chelsea squad, but at, at least there's something there to say. Well, Everton haven't ruined him, and I think as as long as Anthony Gordon is at this football club, he it, it's almost impossible to assess him. Um, and you mentioned another player who's who's getting into that realm of being impossible to. It's it's possibly even it's very difficult to point a finger at Seamus Coleman as much as, as much as, as you mentioned on Sunday, Ad, that so many fans in the moment will have been so keen to do. And, and obviously everyone gets that, but we're, we're not going to go too big picture on this pod because we've done that a lot in recent weeks. But if, if you think that Seamus Coleman playing in this team is Seamus Coleman's fault, then you have no idea about what is going on at Everton at the moment, because the fact that we, 
have not only gone into that game, but into this season or into the last couple of seasons with him being our primary choice in that position is it's primarily a shame on Marcel Brands. Uh, and, and he is through all of this, you know, Farhad Mashiri making himself look a clown on Sky Sports, Bill Kenwright sitting in this weird presidential role and not really doing much on the eye that we can see. Marcel Brands is the one that, Certainly for my money, others probably escaped criticism because he's he's always been that one who looks pretty suave. I'm, I always see him swanning around Finch Farm and Goodison Park looking like he knows what he's doing. And he's attracting the criticism right now, isn't he? Because I think if there was one man who is in, he's basically in charge for what football players go on that pitch. I mean, we, we can all is talk. He is he though? Well, that's it. I mean, if anyone's listened to this week's Totally Football show, which Matt was on, he he reiterated this point whereby Everton seemed to be the only club where decisions about players, be they incoming or outgoing, have to be signed off by three or four people. I mean, either Marcel Brands is that man making that decision, or he's a clown, isn't he? He's an idiot because yeah. he shouldn't be in that role, allowing people to to do that job for him. Be that be that managing director of a football club or in your job you, there's no way you'd let someone come in and, and elbow you out the way and start doing your job knowing full well that your neck was on the line and- however I, I, I think there's a massive caveat to that Mark and, and I agree I totally agree that he is either he's either scared he's either yeah. a clown or he's either got absolutely no say in the matter and for me at the moment, Marcel Brands is, is a glorified scout because yeah. what he's and, and we could be totally off with this, and I hope we are. But for me, what happens is a manager comes in, a manager has requests, a manager has requirements, a manager has his say. And if I am going to take this job, then there's a couple of things that I want to do. Ancelotti did it, and Rafa Benitez has done it. Marcel Brands and, and I am. I've been I've stuck up for Marcel Brands because I believe that a director of football in his mindset and his way of working is what we need. Yeah, I, so yeah, I, I, I wanted him to work. Yeah. yeah, I want him to work. I want him to bring in totally unknown, up and coming, young, hungry, talented footballers who are 18, 19, 20, who go into the under 23s and someone goes, uh, no, too good, get him straight in there. Yeah. And what I truly believe has happened is that he is trying to do this and he's just been and, and you can have it in any you know role in any job in any career it's just the wrong place at the wrong time and you say that in my you know uh, taking it to a personal level if yeah. my ceo said to me no, i want to do this what can i say yeah if my ceo turns around to me or my you know manager or my line manager or the person that is at the top of the tree if not a couple down, or definitely above me, says, no, I'm, I'm taking control of this. I'm doing this bit. I want to do that bit. You can do you know, this, this yeah. bit to the side. You can do the 16s, the 17s, the 18s, anything else. It's me. I want my Townsends. I want my Grays. I want my Rondons. And then Mashiri, he's absolutely in love with the fact that Rafa Benitez has given him a five-hour PowerPoint presentation of why it's him and why it needs to be him. And therefore, another manager has come through the doors at Goodison Park and at Finch Farm and Marcel Brands has been totally irrelevant to, to any form of decision-making process. I feel that he is a glorified scout, and they've just said to him, you go and sort out the lads in the next five, ten years, instead of him 
your Denzel Dumfries or the, the young lad at Rangers who we were looking at, who was, yeah. you know, eight, nine million pounds. And if Rafa Benitez has got five million to spend, who, who's going to begrudge him of spending it himself? Because he, he's been around the block and he's got players there who he's no get on the cheap. You know, they can do him a job. But at the same time, if we carry on working in this way, it's just going to be get your favourites in. We'll give you a couple of years on a contract. You'll turn 32, 33, and then you'll be done for. And we turn around to Marcel and say, where are they? And he said, I didn't have a choice. I didn't have a chance. Mm. I hope that's the case. It also is absolutely frightening if it is the case, because whatever we're trying to build for the future definitely isn't working. And if we keep sacking managers and employing managers who have a requirement when they sign the contract that I'm getting my players and my players only, Marcel Brands will continue to be an under-13s and under-14s manager walking around in a D-squared suit. Bizarre things have happened at this football club, but for everything that you've just said, I would say one of the most puzzling things ever is Marcel Brands' appointment to the board. Because... I can't, from any angle I look at it, I can't think of whose idea it was or who benefits from it. Because pre his appointment, if if what you're saying is true, and and it certainly looks like it is from the outset, whereby there's a power struggle that someone like Farhad Mashiri is very much part of in terms of playing structure and and the, the players that make up the team. Why why would Marcel Brands agree to that? Why why would he ever agree to be part of the football club at a higher level. Does it does it does it shut him up? Has he gone absolutely ballistic at them and gone? I I've been brought in here. I'm getting absolute dogs abuse from from fa- I'm starting to get dogs abuse from fans who are looking at me and going, "Where are these hidden gems?" And they've gone, "Put you on the board, Marcel. Keep your mouth shut." I, it, and it sounds so stupid that I'm saying this because I've got a clue. But how believable is that? Yeah. Could you not just believe that Mashiri and Ken might go, "Marcel, keep your mouth shut. We'll get you on the board, mate." Don't you worry. You just keep doing what you're doing. We'll get you on the board. And he goes, um, okay. That's not my job, yeah. but it'll keep me quiet for a couple of years. You just get on the board, Marcel, and you carry on doing what you're doing. And it's it's almost like, and Ken Wright for me, and, and, and I'm painting more of a picture of Mashiri now, it just feels like the type of fellas to do something like that. The type of fellas to just try and keep people quiet whilst there's an absolute shit heap of rubbish happening behind closed doors. We just need to try and not let anyone know how truly terrible we are at running this football club. <laughs> Joe, I'm, I'm watching the words come out of your mouth and I really don't want to agree with them, but I, ju- I just do. Uh, and it, it just makes me want to watch the Amazon documentary of all and off and on Everton more and more. But, oh my God. Um, to, to take this back a little bit to, to the playing staff that we had on Sunday, um, something that you referenced there, mate, was... Marcel Brands and, and Everton in general being able to take players from the youth team and progress them to the first 11 or even the matchday squad, which we got a little bit of a glimpse of at the weekend because seeing Lewis Dobbin and Ellis Sims on the bench, that for me was built in the mould of we'll either give these lads a run out when we're, when we're three or four nil up, uh, which, which is clearly not an Everton thing anymore, no. um, or when we are absolutely desperate for a goal and we've got someone who we've got massive doubts about playing up top, there will be a time whereby we look to one of these lads to to make a name for themselves, to come on and give us a spark, give us, it, us the fans a lift, give the players a lift, 
give us something that we've clearly been missing since Dominic Calvert-Lewin was, was, was ruled out through injury. And we've said this about Tyler Onyango in recent weeks. We've said it a lot about Jean-Philippe Gabamon in recent weeks as well. But you can't have watched the last 15 minutes of that game at the weekend and thought, if there is not a time for... If this is not it now for Alice Sims or Lewis Dobbin, then when will we ever see these football players? Because, I mean, how... How many substitutions are we making in the end? Was it just the, just the one was Damari yeah, yeah. coming on? Not not bringing a striker on in a game that you have somehow managed to semi-dominate against a really terrible Premier League team who were crying out for a goal to be scored against them. I, I'm, I'm not asking for Rafael Benitez to have massive amounts of trust in those players because he's, he's got nothing to, to back that up with. But if, if you're not willing to take a gamble in those situations, then quite honestly, I'd have been in the boardroom asking for a transfer on Monday morning. Yeah, I, it, it goes, there's so many stories of this over the years that you say that he might not have evidence to go off, but he, he almost has in a way that how many times does the young lad who hasn't got a game and comes on when a club full of superstar millionaires, I say superstar uh, in jest almost, yeah. Superstar millionaires who are meant to be professionals cannot break down the Brentford wall of, and I promise you I can't name you any of their back four. We can't break down that wall after however many, 85, 90 minutes. And the young lad comes on and just scores. Yeah. And it happens all the time. It's happened for years. It's like the script of football. You can't get a, a, any joy bring on the young lad that no one's ever heard of or bring on the young lad that supposedly is going to be the next big thing. You might score one goal and never score again, yep. but they always just score, whether it's a winner, whether it's an equaliser, whether it's a consolation, they come on and something happens because you don't know who he is as a Brentford player. You've never seen them before. You make strange runs that are almost ignorance and arrogance. He falls around and buzzes around the six-yard box for the last 10 minutes, something falls to him and he is a hero for whether it's a week, a month, a year or a decade. And this is the, the, the one, it's not the one criticism because he, he's got a lot of, he's got, he's got to take a lot of this, Rafa Benitez, yeah, this yeah. weekend especially. I don't think sacking him is, is, is the right thing to do. I don't think getting on his back is the right thing to do. I don't begrudge anyone that does, but that, that was the first time I've thought, what are you doing here, mate? Yeah. What's, your, what's your plan here? Because whether you're crying out to the board to say, this is what I've got to play with, mate, you're scared to make these substitutions in case they get you out of jail, or you are so stubborn. And I've seen, I've spoke to a few of my mates who are Reds, and they say he, he was stubborn. It's yeah. his way or the highway. He, he refuses to be almost not the, the master tactician. It's the easy way out to bring the young lad on and score. And he, he might not want that, which is, it's a strange feeling, actually, for a manager who needs to win games or get results. And and that's the first time I've thought, that that's not good. And, and then there's a couple of quotes after the game, and I thought, that's not good either. And, oh, I'm not going to... There was one where... Yeah, I, this is not verbatim, but he basically said that the players could have given no more in terms of effort or intensity. <laughs> he also said, yeah, he also said that the connection between the fans was really good and... Hey Jude must have been ringing very loud in his ears for him not to hear what the fans had to say at full time. But oh, it, it, it's not been a save. It's not been a saving grace. It's definitely not the right word to use because Rafa Benitez, for me, if he went tomorrow, I, 
I, I wouldn't be asked. However, having a manager at this club for a decent amount of time is what we need, I feel. But when he starts doing things and saying things like that, you're very, lo- you're very quickly going to lose the lads who weren't on your side anyway. And for me, who at the beginning thought, what a joke of an appointment, what an absolute car crash waiting to happen. I've got behind him. I thought, okay, show us then. Show us how much you, you need this and want this and, 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 and have to have this happen. Mm. When you start making decisions or not making decisions to bring on these young lads who are, who are there at your disposal, it's it's really really worrying that it, it's that that's insanity. It was a free hit for him, wasn't it? Because it's not as though you're hooking Carver Lewin, and you, it's it's not as though you're saying to to a seasoned, you know, fifteen to twenty goal a season striker, it hasn't happened for you today, and I don't think it's going to happen in the next ten minutes. So I'm going to roll the dice, yeah. and I'm going to go with Lewis Dobbin or Ellis Sims up top. You've got someone up front who looks totally inadequate and hasn't scored a goal for Everton, has come a little bit close to, to scoring one at the weekend, but I think we're all collectively agreed is not going to be the blueprint of what Everton look like in the future. And we're not sitting here saying that it's clear that Lewis Dobbin is going to be our leading striker for the next 10 years when Calvert-Lewin obviously moves on at the end of the season. Because we've at this level, we've got absolutely nothing to back that up with, but when you when you see a manager and stubborn is the, is the right word, mate. Because how how could you sit there at the weekend and think that a, a gamble is not required? Uh, I think that that was uh, as you hit the nail on the head, and I had exactly the same feeling when I saw his face in the interview after the game, where I just thought this is this is really unsettling now. And I, I could, you know, what we all got on board with it on the first few weeks, where we looked relatively resolute. Um, I think. Matt Gent on the Totally Football Show this week said that the one thing that you would buy into with someone like Rafael Benitez was that he was going to make you solid, he was going to make you organised, you weren't going to get beat 1-0 at Brentford, you weren't going to ship five at home to Watford, there was going to be a level of stability that your football team had and that is totally beyond us at the moment and I think what you've said that in terms of not being disappointed if he left on what Thursday now after the after the inevitable derby misery? I don't think even the most hardened Rafael Benitez fan could disagree with that statement at the moment because the the thing that Joe, you know, I, I wasn't massively, I, I wasn't one of those Everton fans who said, you know what, I'm not never going to game again if he comes, you know, been to Liverpool, blah blah blah, all all of the the negative hysteria that followed Rafael Benitez upon his appointment, but. The issue for me was that it, it just seems pointless. It's just, he's never going to be here for the duration. You said yourself that we need a manager who's going to be here for the next few years. And, and you kind of use that to justify why we shouldn't sack him. We need stability. We need someone here for the next three or four seasons. Someone to potentially, from this point now, take us into Bramley Moore. Make, make us that resolute, solid football team that we've just said that Rafael Benitez is meant to is meant to do for us. Is, is that do we see that? Do we see him leading this team into into Bramley Moore in in three or four seasons? Absolutely not. And no. the the rest of the Premier League, us included, we're pointing the finger at Man United this week for for appointing an interim manager. And look, look how clueless they are because they they don't know what their setup is. They don't know what their footballer identity is, and they're a little bit lost. Rafael Benitez is basically an interim manager because this is never going to work. We might have runs of games, you know, seven or eight games. We we might pick up 
five points from the next three games where we include Liverpool and Chelsea. And all of a sudden we think this master tactician is finally flipping it on its head. But I think if, if you take a big step back, that's not going to happen, by the way. But no. if, you, if you take a big step back from this, Rafael Benitez, Liverpool, Everton, his style of play, the nature of the players that we've got, the nature of the players that he's bringing in, it, it's just not going to work. And may, maybe only Evertonians can put a finger on, on why that is. But all of the feelings that we've got now sitting here in the week talking about it, certainly all the feelings that you had and 3,000 other Evertonians had on Sunday, it, it, it just seems glaringly obvious, doesn't it? And it's almost like a manager knowing that the game isn't going well after 25 minutes. And you kind of sit back and you think, well, if we can ride this out for a little bit longer, maybe it will it will just instinctively change. Maybe we, we can at least get some form of credible time out of this before we have to press the panic button. And I'm I'm not I'm not sitting here saying that right now, day before the derby as we record, it's time to press that button and move on. But maybe it's the bravest thing to do. And and it, it it's it's impulsive, I know, to say this after however many games has been, um, and we're still six points off fifth. Uh, let's let's not forget it. Um, but it's it, it's very difficult to see this to see this totally flipping on its head, isn't it? And Rafael Benitez being someone who's not only going to save this current season and stop us sitting here talking about a team who potentially could get dragged into a relegation battle, which people are talking about already. Yeah. But, taking us into the Europa League in the next two years because that's what we want. That That's what Farhad Mashiri wants. And I just don't see the mechanism for change that quickly with the, with this particular manager at the moment. It, it, has, it has to change very quickly for us even to have any yeah. form of hope. It, 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 it can't, it can't, we can't go into 2022 and not have been atop half the table, I don't think. Yeah. And, and that, for me, is very unlikely. Well, that, that, that's why that's why I'm probably saying now, I, I, I'm, I'm saying all of this about Benitez leaving imminently on the assumption that Everton will be in the bottom half at the turn of the year because yeah. from a results and from a fixtures point of view, that's how it looks, doesn't it? And, and, and we, we go on about, well, I think the City game was the last time we said it in, in terms of just put a performance in, just show us some form of improvement some form of continuity, whether it's being hard to beat, whether it's looking decent on the break, whether it's having lads who want to get on the ball, who want to go and you know, get in people's faces and show a little bit of, of passion. And and I don't think that's enough now. I, yeah. I don't think that'll, that'll save his job. We could, we could play very well against Liverpool tomorrow and get beat, and they're singing his name, and, yeah. and it's Agent Rafa, and it's one win in ten, and we are very much looking below us instead of maybe we can get into the top half maybe we can have a good December if we lose against Liverpool Chelsea and Crystal oh. Palace mm. I, I, I honestly I can't I can't see him lasting I'm, no. I'm, and it makes it, it, it's it's once again going back on everything that, that we need and, and I say that we, we we have to have it's stability it's, it's and, and, and towards the back end of last year I, I wasn't a massive Carlo Ancelotti Lover, I thought he's great. It's Carlo Ancelotti. There's a lot of things wrong with what's going on at our club. However, give him a give him a, regardless of what the brands, Mashiri, Kenwright, whoever the manager is, 
I'm not going to say tea, but catastrophe is you've just got a little bit of stability. You've got a, a, a group of players who know what the manager wants, who are, are being drilled in whichever way they're being drilled. They're being drilled to a degree, whether it's how to play, how to defend, how to you know, win matches, how to not lose football matches. But another manager leaving in December, another manager leaving without completing his contract, another yeah. manager just... And the scariest thing for me is whoever comes in will look at Alex Awobi, will look at Seamus Coleman, will look at Michael Keane, will look at Tom Davis and go, I'll give, I, I, I can make him a player. I can, uh, do you know what? And Alex Awobi for me, once again, and, and I feel almost harsh speaking to speaking about him in this way, but he's the type of player who has like a good week, a good month, a good new manager bounce. And the new manager bounce is so true for these players. And I, I, Rafa Benitez is to blame if we if he gets sacked. He is. However, these gutless, just heartless shit houses that we are employing year on year that refuse to stand up and be counted really need to start looking at themselves and thinking, I just keep getting managers sacked. I keep letting managers walk away and it's on me. And until we have some form of stability where the manager can take a decent amount of time to realise, dross, dross, not good yep. enough, off you go. Right, I'll bring him in to replace him. Are you here for the fight? No, off you go. Until that happens, we're going nowhere, Mark. And at the moment, if we keep sacking managers and managers keep leaving, we our time will run out in terms of well, you're too big to go down or you're too big to be in a true relegation battle. Because 16th, 15th in the league at the moment seriously doesn't look like a bad thing in terms of how bad we are. I think that, that that's the biggest pro Benitez point at the moment, isn't it? Is that after the five or six years that we've had, I don't think any of us have got the energy anymore to watch a new manager come in and yeah. find out the things that we all collectively know. And I think every every single 18 months when we when we bring that line out, it sounds as though we're saying that we know more about football than Rafael Benitez or Carlo Ancelotti or whoever it may be. And it's not that, but we, we, we've seen the same lessons try to be learned we've seen the same mistakes we've seen the same actions after those managers watch those mistakes which is seemingly nothing and I think that the thing that scared me most about Carlo Ancelotti is that that kind of ruthless streak that you've alluded to in terms of needing a manager to identify the flaws and eradicate them he he wasn't able to do that and you know what possibly possibly that was what was on the horizon and and that's that's for me what we potentially lost out most with with Carlo Ancelotti leaving is that maybe he did know all of these things and, and that that period of change was about to come. But I don't know. Rafael Benitez isn't even going to get the amount of time needed to to look at those players. No. Never mind to act on that. Well, if 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 Carlo Ancelotti jumped ship, yeah, Rafa Benitez is is definitely going to walk the plank. Like because there's no way that that, that things can be Carlo Ancelotti the first. I think if any European club came in for him, he would have gone. Yeah, yeah. And he's turned around and, and he, I think he's just realised, wow, what am I trying to lead to any form of success here? Rafa Benitez hasn't got that luxury. He wants to be here. He has to be here, Mark. He, he can't be anywhere else because he, he he's put his life on the line for this. Yeah. And I, I almost feel sorry for the bloke because it, it really is down to, for me, Koeman, Walsh, 
a, an awful running of a football club and also just modern day football where you can't go 10 games with one win. You can't. The season. God, saying, saying that Benitez has to be here, God damn the world, it's, it's insatiable grip on people. Oh, oh <laughs> my God. Uh, the, the last point I want to make about, do you know what, before I do move on, the most worrying element that I've just said about needing a ruthless manager to come in is that I instinctively look at the board and more importantly, the last two managers that we've had, and I know that we're speaking about Benitez, that like he's not here anymore, but... I think that board would look at those previous two managers and secretly decide that they need a yes man to come in next. It needs to be someone who will obviously dance to, to the tune of Mashiri and Ken Rice. But more importantly, if Marcel Brands is going to work, I guess you need a yes man. You, you, you need someone who's going who's gonna to come in and, and sing to his tune from a transfer point of view because yeah. that, is a, that is essentially how this setup and this structure is meant to work. And I'm I'm almost looking at some of the players that you've mentioned there as being not good enough, and, and we're not going to go over them because it's it's the entire squad. But that that that's another one on Marcel Brands, partly, isn't it? Because if he's in charge of, you know, we, we always talk about his job as being shipping off to the continent and and identifying people like Denzel Dumfries, so if you've mentioned, and other prospective players to come in for bargain fees and, and make well beaters out of them. He he's also there to pinpoint the supposed well beaters and say well you're absolutely not up to it and I, I get it he needs to do this in conjunction with a manager who changes every fortnight but it, it's it's on him really to to manage not only the the yellow ticker sky sports deadline signings for Everton but it, it's to it's to rid out the the mess that that we currently have in the squad isn't it mm. but you, you, you don't want to buy these players. His hands are tied there as well. No one wants to buy them. And yeah. why would they? Yeah. Bobby and Delph's going nowhere, Mark. He's on 200 grand a week. If someone comes in like a Leeds or like a Sheffield United and says, yeah, we'll have him on, on a year, but we need, you need to pay off his wages. And actually, you need to pay probably all of his wages for the first year. Bobby and Delph goes, nah, I'm all right. You know, I've got three years left. I'll just sit on it. It sounds like we actively tried this with, was it Norwich who were interested in him in the summer? Yeah, yeah. But he said, didn't he? But he says, yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, like it or not, Norwich are a club that sing to the hymn sheet and, and, and they know what their structure is. They know what their place is. And it means relegation every other yeah. year. And their fans, I am sure, hate it every other season. But that, that, that is their flawed identity. They know what they're about. They're never going to go and sign Fabian Delph, albeit for a low transfer fee, on 150 grand a week. And for him to come in and tell all of their players that they need to start doing the basics right, because that that's not that's not what they stand. They've got, for. They've got structure. They've got sustainability. Whether that sustainability is staying in the prem, well, it's obviously not. But at the same time, they keep coming back. They come back with slightly better players. They come back with, I don't know, slightly more of a plan. Yeah. And, and and it's strange to look at a, a team that's won one game all season and think they know what they're doing more we, than we do. I wish we were Norwich. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Right, to get onto that final Everton point then, mate, I think something that something that we've seen at Goodison Park in, in recent weeks and, do you know what, here on Tuesday night, we're probably going to see it tomorrow as well. But when... When things get so bad that you kind of get that 
intangible feeling inside Goodison Park of this has gone too far now. I wasn't at the game like you on Sunday, but watching some of the videos back of of the players coming over to that corner of the ground, um, the you know the V signs, the arms spread wide open, the dogs abuse that the players got, it it takes something different and something special and something inexplainably bad to make an away following of any Premier League football club, but in particular one as hopelessly loyal as Everton. It takes a lot to push them that far, doesn't it? And do you know what? I've we've all been to watch Everton games both home and away and seen disastrous performances, but there was a there was a real anger and a real disconnect between players and fans, wasn't it, at the weekend? And I mean, it it looked hostile. It looked aggressive. Did did you feel as though that that was how was it warranted? I would say. I mean, it, I know it was it was. Look, looking back, it, it's actually hard to watch, and I think the the reason why it's hard to watch is because of Anthony Gordon uh, yeah. and and watching watching him on the coming over, he, he actually looks distraught, doesn't he? And it it, it almost it, it excuses all bad behaviour when you see someone intrinsically care that much about the football club. And do you know what? For 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 all of his his doubters at the weekend, he, he clearly does. But what was it as moody as it seemed? It was, it was at a point where I, I was embarrassed to have my bird there. I was embarrassed. I would have been embarrassed to have my dad there. I would have been embarrassed. Because, that you, because that that's not stereotypical Everton away experience. No. I, I love I love going to, to away games because you, you've got your fans who travel up and down the country. And don't get me wrong, I, I'm a massive Evertonian, but I, I can't lay a glove on some of those. And and therefore, who am I to say that it was embarrassing because they pay the money every single week to do four or five hour coach journeys, to get up at the crack of dawn, to get home after midnight and to work all week to try and do, go and do it yeah, all again. Yeah. But at the same time, it, it was, it felt like I'm at this game because I'm fuming. Okay. I'm at this game to, to, to take it out and and, and yeah, I say I can't blame them, but at the same time that there was, and I said this the other day, there was there was a point where like a, an empty bottle of you know Coke or whatever was thrown from the back of the stand. It's never going to reach the pitch. It's never going to reach a Uemi phone. It's a young lad on the back of the head, a, a row in front of me and me and my bird. And I turned around and I thought like, that, that what is that achieving? You're just hurting, you're hurting a young lad who's not being going to the game for nowhere near as long as you. The only thing you'll remember from that game is a bottle them on the back of the head that, that obviously hurt and he felt a little bit embarrassed and didn't really know what to do. And then there's burgers being thrown and the abuse and, and you know, the way of getting your emotions across by shouting and screaming, I'm all for. But there's certain things that happened on Sunday and I thought, I, I know what it felt like. I can feel what it felt like at that West Ham Stadium when it first opened. I can yeah. feel what it felt like in other scenarios where the fans are about to turn on each other now and, and that's where you've really lost them. That's where you've really lost them because as soon as you start taking young lads and young girls to the footy, the old fellas, the old ladies, as soon as you start taking people to the game who've either been there for so many years that it, they feel comfortable there or they haven't been there for enough years so they just feel excited and you start scaring them and you start making them not feel comfortable, that's when Everton aren't the people's club anymore and that's when yeah. you've turned into 
are just a gang of idiots, really. And and it's upsetting, really, because we all love going to watch our football clubs. We all love going to watch we, whatever happens on the pitch, fine, whatever. When it starts, when things like that start happening and, and, you, and you've got a dad there who's looking up thinking, this is his first game. This is the first away game. This yeah. he's only been coming for a couple of weeks, and you, and there's knobheads essentially taking mm-hmm. the anger out. And and who's to blame there? It's it's obviously them. It's obviously them. But you've yeah. drove them to this. Whatever this is, whatever you are and whoever you are, you you've drove them to this. If it's a player, a manager, a board, a director of football, the the cost of going down on a Sunday afternoon at two o'clock to watch a team. And the other side of the country charging 40 50 pound a ticket this is this is where it's gone a little bit too far and i don't want to go too much into it but yeah that, that's what the everton crowd was like on sunday and who's to blame i don't know but there's certain things you, you can and can't do with a football match and, and turning people away from it definitely is one yeah i think you know i mean in terms of the raw emotions that people people feel god watching and following Everton on a weekly basis, never mind on one particularly bad game like Sunday was, but it's it's gonna it's gonna bring out aggression, it's gonna bring out hostility, it's gonna it's gonna bring out massive frustration and disappointments. But you need to channel that in the right way. Um some of some of the things that you've said there are, are inexcusable. Um I, I've got absolutely no problems with, you know, we we saw plenty of fans standing on seats, arms wide stretch for all of the reasons that you just said, Ad, about following this club around the world, not just the country. Let's let's get this right. Working hard week in, week out to, to earn money to do that. And do you know what? I'm, I'm not saying that Everton should be refunding fans for every game that we lose because we, we'd be totally skimped within four weeks. But it, it's it's knowing how to, to channel those emotions, isn't it? And as I say, it was as much as I get it, I've I've watched Everton long enough and I've been to enough away games to know that, you know, situations can get to that boiling point. It was a difficult watch. Yeah, and it, it's even difficult to think about it and talk about it now because that that's not what you want your fan base to look like. It's not what you want your football team to look like. And we we've spoken so much in recent weeks about the disconnect between fans and players. That, that was ironically the most connected that I'd seen any one of our players to a fan base in recent weeks because seeing the look of, of disappointment and devastation on, on someone like Anthony Gordon's face, it, at, at least at that point we knew that there was real hurt in that, in that play in 11. And I think that, that was, as much as that's not the way that you want to eke it out of this team, at, at least you, you knew that there was there was real communication there between fans and players. And obviously it's not in the mould that, that we want to see it on a weekly basis, but hopefully the message that, be it by the, the right or wrong medium, has has got across and, and that will that will impact the players' performance tomorrow night. But I don't know, sitting here right now, given, the, given what we've seen from our own team and what we've seen from the opposition team that we're going to be facing, it's a, it's, it's a very difficult and, and scary prospect, isn't it, mate? But... I'm going to finish on a game that didn't involve Everton at the weekend. Um, you'll have seen this, but so so much of me thought that this should have been part of Everton's history because people will have seen the the Benfica game in the in the Portuguese Super League at the weekend. Uh, it was a game where Benfica's opposition Belenenses were hit by a COVID outbreak that affected, I think it was 17 
first team footballers. Um, what were they doing together, by the way? That seventeen. Well, close were they? I don't know. I don't know how much kind of suspect nature was going on here because I'll as I'll as I'll talk you through some of the other omissions that happened during the night. It all it all seemed a little bit odd, um, but nevertheless, for an untold reason which will never be fully explained, they were forced to start the game with nine men, two of whom were goalkeepers. I mean. They they basically started with the Everton bench, uh, so they had a goalkeeper playing in defence. Uh, and they were seven nil down at half time after conceding a first minute own goal. Uh, they came they came out after half time having picked up two injuries in the half time break with seven players, and then another one got immediately injured after the second half started. And as they were down to six players, it had to be abandoned. And I was just left thinking, mate, do you reckon Everton could nick a point away against them? (laughs) (laughs) I know it probably shouldn't be the first thing, but isn't so much of that just... I know we say Everton that when terrible things happen, but that that is surely a good century's worth of bad luck that's fallen on a football club within 90 minutes. That is unbelievable. That is seriously (laughs) unbelievable. And, And I'd probably take a point, mate, let's be honest. I don't think he would. I think he <laughs> still go with just Rondon, just Iwobi, and then a back four. And oh. that's what happens. Yeah. yeah. Well, obviously, it's just an absolute freak thing. And hopefully, what's quite funny is that they've just gone like, how many are out with COVID? And they've gone like, right, if we make this sound really bad, they yeah. might just call it off. And they've gone 17. And they've gone, like, you've got nine, did he say? Um, yeah, but we've got 17 out. Yeah, but you've got nine. <laughs> yeah. That's not the point. We've got 17 out. They've gone, you're going to have to go with the nine. And it's almost as if they could have turned around and said to Benfica, can we have some of your lads? Drinking on, on the group WhatsApp, they were like, oh, can, any, can anyone get any lads for uh, two hours? Yeah. Time? Like, we've, we've all been there on like a Wednesday night playing five-a-side. Get the ringers in, mate. Get the ringers in. <laughs> oh God, brilliant! It's it was reassuring anyway, just to know that footballing hilarity and embarrassment happens to other teams. But yeah, I think they're uh, they're rightly trying to get that game replayed. But I uh, I can't think of anything funnier than them winning one nil in the replay. But yeah, it's nice to know that we're not we're not in this alone, mate. Um, that is that is us for kick about this week. Uh, we've got obviously. The derby coming up tomorrow, uh, we'll have a post-match, which I can't promise any form of enthusiasm on, but nevertheless, it will be as frank and, and real as ever. Um, we'll, of course, have a lot of build-up to the Arsenal game as well, which will come ominously thick and fast on Monday night. Um, and I know that we've alluded to, to not only Subs Weekly, which is out at the moment, but also Matt's appearance on uh, the Totally Football Show, which was was brilliant this week. So check all of those out, and we will hopefully join you in a humorous if not joyful and triumphant mood next week thanks very much for joining us something you probably do know progressive can not only offer you a great price when you bundle home and auto they offer you round-the-clock protection something you probably don't know it only takes 15 pounds of pressure to break a window Something you probably do know, your neighbor practices chipping in the backyard. Something you probably don't know, a golf ball through your window would also take out your TV. Bundle your home and auto with Progressive and get more than a great price. Get round-the-clock protection. Something you know for the things you don't know. 
Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.